Good morning, family. So good to see you all. It's good to be back. Natasha and I had a really good trip. Oh, thank you. That's kind of you. Natasha and I had a really good trip in the States, very busy. I think we had eight flights in those two weeks and stayed in about six different hotel rooms and places, and, but got to see a lot of our friends, and they all send their love. People like Pastor Jack Robleski, uh, Dan Backens, Tony Miller, uh, Dwayne White. We got to spend some time with all of them in their churches, and, and they all send their love, and then also met some great new people that we're building relationships with. And uh, so it was a great privilege to represent you and to just take part of our story, our continuing story to different places. And, and people over in those places that we've been, they love Hatfield and they love you and all send their love uh, really with heartfelt sincerity. So please know that you're loved in, in many parts of, of the world. I want to preach a message today that I feel is of particular value and importance and of timing. Um, so if you can buckle in, and I believe that this is a bit of a prophetic declaration that I have to make this morning and release this morning. The title of my message is, Be Ready to Possess the Land. Be ready, as uh, we've been busy with our theme of being ready, but I want to talk about how we possess the land. Now, C.S. Lewis made a statement. He said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. We all know that we're living right in a time where there's a warfare going on for the souls of men. That right now the enemy is going around to deceive, to lie to people so that he can keep them captive and keep them from experiencing and having everything that God has intended for us to have. He, he and his forces deceive and lie and paint a picture for us that He is in control and wants us to believe that He is in control of this world. And sometimes it's easy to believe. If you read the news, if you see the things that are going on all over the world, just our, some any of our personal experiences, it's, it's sometimes easy to believe that the enemy could be having his way in this world. But if you're a Christian here this morning, you know that we live in a world where Jesus is on the throne. Come on, do you believe that? That is our faith, that Jesus has won the victory, that on the cross, the kingdom of God has come to earth. And while this battle may be going on, and while we may be in this battle, we are fighting from a place of enforcing the victory that has already been achieved by the Lord Jesus. And it's very important that we remember that. And part of our journey, part of our privilege as the children of God is that we get to share that message with our, with our friends, with our society, with our community around us. We get to tell them that, listen, the enemy is not in control. Jesus is on the throne. Don't believe all the stuff you see. Don't get woodbinked by the enemy. You have been made free by that which happened on the cross of Christ, with Jesus on the cross. It's like the story that it's, it's a bit of a legend from Mauritius, that uh, Mauritius being an island in the, in the Indian Ocean had a lot of slave trade that would pass through there. So there were a lot of people actually also in slavery on the island of, of Mauritius. But in 1835, on the 1st of February 1835, slavery was abolished in Mauritius and it was made illegal. But at that time, there was a group of slaves 
and people that got marooned on the island of, of slave ships that uh, were, were shipwrecked that went and hid in the southern part of a peninsula of the island where there's a bit of a mountainous area and forests. They went and hid in the forests and lived up on top of the mountain because they just didn't want it. They were escaped slaves and people that didn't want it to be taken back into slavery, as you can well understand. And so they were hiding in this part of the, in the southern part of the island. And shortly after the 1st of February, when this law was passed and declaration were made that there are no longer slaves on the island, that everybody on the island is now a free man, they, they remembered about these people that were hiding in the mountains. So they got a bunch of policemen together and sent them to go deliver the message to these people that they are now free men. Unfortunately, when the slaves saw the policemen coming up the mountain, they thought they were coming to capture them. And so rather than being taken back into slavery, they jumped off the cliffs and killed themselves. This is a legend of Mauritius. What a sad story. You see, but that's the story of the people of this world. Jesus died so that every man can be free from the curse of sin and death. Every man. But yet people don't know. People live as if they still enslaved to the enemy. But we have come to share this message. And a big part of what we talk about when we talk about possessing the land, if, you, if you're a Christian, you would immediately understand what I mean when I say possess the land. Perhaps you're not a Christian or you're new to Christianity. I just want to say to you, we're not you know, going to rally up troops now and get weapons together and start a coup or do anything like that. That's not what we mean when we say possess the land. To us, it means to bring this knowledge to people that the kingdom of God has come to earth. That you do not have to live in the brokenness of this world anymore, but you can be set free, be forgiven, be redeemed, and brought into the kingdom of God. And that's what we do as children of God. We go and share this message and take possession of that which belongs to God in the first place. We repossess that for the kingdom of God. Now, the story of Joshua is a story that you've heard many messages about probably, and forgive me for going there this morning again, but I think we learned great lessons from the story of Joshua that we can apply in our times about God expecting of us to possess the land. And I believe the Lord is moving in a particular way across the world right now and setting things up for His possession. So if you don't mind, it would be great if you can go with me to Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to put some of the verses on the screens, and, but I'd like you to really listen this morning, not only with your ears, but with your spiritual ears also, and try and discern, and, and as was introduced earlier, as Pam said earlier, about what is the sound of faith in your heart. I want to stir the sound of faith in our hearts individually, as a community, as a people of this nation, and a people of this world also. The theme of the book of Joshua is simply this. God gives the land. God gives the land. God wanted to give land to His people. Why does God want to give land to His people? Because the whole earth belongs to the Lord. And that's what we're going to look at just now. But God decided, and through the book of Joshua we learn this lesson, about how God gives the land. But He doesn't just give the land, He gives it to a people that wants to take it. And we see this beautiful partnership develops, this collaboration between God and His people where they work together, where God gives the land and they take the land. 
The land could not be possessed for the purposes of God if he didn't give it, nor if they didn't take it. It had to be the two of them coming together and each doing what they can do to possess the land for the kingdom of God. God in his sovereignty decided that the land was to belong to Israel and therefore he was going to give it to them. Why Israel? Remember, Israel was a nation founded by God. They're not a nation that developed like the other nations, just, you know, just happened to be a grouping of people to come together. The nation of Israel was a nation that was birthed because of the word of God spoken to Abraham. And God formed this nation to be the nation that would eventually bring to earth all the blessings that he has. Remember he said, out of you I will bless all the people of the earth. And we've spoken about that before. He raised up this beautiful people. He formed them. A people that would be his people. A people that would represent his ways, his law. A people that would carry his presence. In a time where everybody else was just doing whatever they wanted to do. Where people were just living as a law unto themselves, the scripture says. God initiated and said, I want the earth to know me. I want the earth to know me. Genesis 24 verse 1, uh, Psalm 24 verse 1, sorry. Gives us this important piece of information. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And all who dwell upon it. The earth is the Lord's. This world doesn't belong to the Chinese. It doesn't belong to the Americans. It doesn't belong to any language group. It doesn't belong to any race. It doesn't belong to any political party. This nation doesn't belong to the ANC. It doesn't belong to the DA. It doesn't belong to the EFF. It doesn't belong to the Freedom Front Plus. And it will never belong to anybody else. The earth is the Lord's. It was made for His purposes. God spoke and created the earth. And then he, he created Adam and Eve and he gave dominion over the earth to us as mankind. He said, you go, you steward the earth on my behalf. You, you build this earth. You take my law, my ways and practice it on this earth. And live out my heart on this earth. And go forth and multiply and bring more people onto this earth so that they can experience my love and my grace. But we know the story that we fell in sin and, and we got broken and the earth got broken and, and death and the curse and everything entered this world. And the world fell into a place of, of disrepair and a place of, of brokenness. But God never said, it's not mine anymore. I created it. I lost it. Man, I gave it to man. Man gave it away. I'm done. He said, the earth is mine. And I will bring it back. I will bring my kingdom back onto earth. I will bring it back into my purposes. And that's why he established the Jewish people. As the, the conduit through which he was going to produce ultimately the son of man that would come. And when Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom is here on earth. We are being restored, brought back into God's original plan and intent. And this was the journey of the Jewish people. So, so here God says to the Jewish people, I'm going to give you land. And this land is to be the first fruits of me build, restoring, of taking back all the land. I'm just beginning here. And God chose Canaan. In his sovereignty, he decided Canaan will be the first fruits. It will be the first place that he will start to reclaim all the earth. 
And so he said to the, to the people, this nation that he started, but a, a peculiar nation, not a particularly strong nation, a nation that at the time didn't even have a, a governmental system, had a very low form even of a religious system, a, a nation that had no standing military, a nation that had no infrastructure. To this people, he says, a nation that was slaves, captured in Egypt, to this nation, he says, I'm going to lead you out and I'm going to give you land. And it's his right to decide whichever land he wants to give because it belongs to him. It wasn't that he particularly had anything against the Canaanites more than anybody else in the fact that they were not his people. They were not living according to his law. They were not representing his ways. In fact, they were particularly violent. You know, things like human sacrifices and all these terrible things were going on during that time. And God said, I'm going to take a portion of land and I'm going to give it to my people so that my people can start living according to my law and bring back my presence into the earth. And out of those people will come the Son of Man so that the presence of God can come to all the earth. And therefore, in you, every nation will be blessed. So God was busy working his process. So he speaks to this nation. Now we pick up the story a number of years into their journey. You know, they slavery in Egypt for 400 years. God, through Moses, calls them out and takes them out of Egypt, leads them to take them to the promised land. But they get close to the promised land and, and they fail. They, their courage fails them. They can't, they can't see it. They can't believe that it's possible that they can take this land with giants and, and a scary place and a land inhabited by fierce people. They say, it's not possible for us to do it. So they have to wander around the desert for 40 years because they're not ready for the promise and the purpose of God. So they wander around the desert for 40 years. The generation of all of those that were of military age at the beginning of their 40-year journey has now died out. A new generation is standing up. And God says, now it's time, we're going to do this. And he raises up a man by the name of Joshua, who used to be Moses' aide. And in Joshua 1, verse 2 to 3, we read the following. Moses, my servant, is dead. That means that season is now over. That time is now past. We are going into a new phase now. Then you will, you and all these people, now then, you and all these people, get ready, be ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I have promised, as I have promised Moses. In verse 5 to 7, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. As God prepares them and says, now be ready, you're going to go over and you're going to do this that we've been speaking about for so long. It's going to happen now. Be ready for it. He highlights two things to them. He says, first of all, you have to be courageous and secondly, you have to keep my law. You have to be courageous because this land is not an empty land. This land has people living in it. They, they, and you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to take this land. And secondly, you have to keep my law. If you don't keep my law, you're just like everybody else, and then I don't want to give you the land. Why will I give you the land if you're just like everybody? I'm giving you the land so that you can live under my law and bring my presence. So you have to do both. 
And he gives them this promise, and he says, if you obey me, I will give you the land. But it's going to take a fight. You're going to have to, and three times, he says to Joshua and to the people, be courageous. How many of you know when God says be courageous, it's because there's a reason to fear. He's not just giving you a pep talk. This is not halftime of a, of a football match. He's saying, You've got to, you're going to have to stand, guys. Everything's going to come against you. You're going to have to be courageous. But if you stand, I will do something that nobody would have believed possible. But you're going to have to be courageous. And you're going to have to keep my law. In verse 8 and 9, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God gives the land to a people that can take the land. A people that can take the land is a people that is courageous and that obeys His commands, that are surrendered to his will. You see, God gives this nation a promise. He says, I will give you the land. Now, I think we make a mistake sometimes with the promises of God. Sometimes we treat the promises of God like statements of blessing rather than statements of purpose. What I mean by that is, statements of blessing is like the Lord says, I'm going to give you the land. Woohoo! That's wonderful, Lord. We're waiting for you. You're going to bless us. You're going to give us the land. It's going to be wonderful. Hopefully it happens at some point. Statements of purpose is, Lord, you said you're going to give us the land. What must we do to possess the land? And Lord, we believe in this promise. We believe in this promise so much that we'll surrender our lives to this promise. We will give you our lives to see this promise come to pass. Lord, if we have to die so that this promise can come to pass, we understand it is a statement of your purpose, and we will be defined by our obedience to this statement. So therefore, Lord, here we are. Do with us as you please. Can you understand the difference between the two? Sometimes we read the promises in the scripture and we go, we treat it like it's, you know, some choice that we have. You know, some menu, scroll down menu that you can go on and pick a promise and say, oh, I like this promise. I'll have this promise. I like this promise. I'll have this promise. This one, mm, it's a bit, there's too many giants in the land. I'd, I'd like that promise, but it's a bit too expensive. I can't afford that promise. I can't write, it's going to cost me too much. I don't want that promise. No. When God says to these people, listen guys, we've been here before. The generation that came before you stood where you are standing now. They were supposed to cross over the Jordan. They were supposed to take the promised land. And they didn't. They couldn't. So 40 years later, we're back here again. And you've got a choice. Are you going to do it or are you not? But my purpose is to take this land. I'm going to take this land with or without you. If it's not you, I'll wait another 40 years and I'll raise up another generation. But it's going to happen. The previous generation would always be known as the generation that didn't take the land. Are you going to be the generation that will take the land? And these people at this time said, yes, Lord. They surrendered to the promise of the Lord. They surrendered to say, Lord, we will see what you have promised come to pass. Do you know that this world... The life of the people of this planet depends on you surrendering your life to the promise of the Lord. God's will cannot happen 
If we don't surrender our lives to His promises. If we don't say, Lord, I will give everything I can for your promise. Remember in, in, uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 29, I think it's 29, the second last verse of Hebrews, it says, And many of these, the heroes of our faith, died not seeing the promise fulfilled. Because the promise was never about them, it was about God's purpose. And they played their part in seeing the promise fulfilled. But the promise was the thing that God was saying, I will make this promise come to pass. It is our privilege to live for the promises of God. You need a purpose. Do you agree with that statement? Oh, okay. You see, I, I, I see you clever. You see where I'm going with you, so you don't want to say yes. Do you believe God made you for a purpose? Okay, it's a little better. These guys, I haven't still bought into this idea. Do you believe God made you for a purpose? I see, I see you. You're way too clever. You see, but the purposes of God, the purpose God made you and me for, the fundamental, real purpose that will give us reason for life and joy will cost us our lives, at least in our belief. If you believe God made you for a purpose, there has to be something in you that says, Lord, I will live for you and I will die for you, but this purpose will come to pass. It's not an option for me. It's not if everything aligns, if all works together. Lord, it is if I have to face a couple of giants, I'll do it. If I have to face the walled city, Lord, I'll do it. But your promises must come to pass because they're the statements of your purpose. And thank you, Lord, that my life can have such meaning as being part of seeing your promises fulfilled. What a privilege to give my life. Jesus said, Take up your cross daily. Deny yourself. Follow me. Jesus said, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies. You see, this is what he means. He says, we must be the people of God, like these Israelites were, that come to the place where we say, Lord, I believe so much in what you have said and so much in who you are that I will give my life for it, Lord. Those are the people of faith. A surrendered people. People that are surrendered to the will of God. So the people are ready. God says to Joshua in verse 11 of chapter 1, Go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is, is, is giving you for your own. In verse, chapter 3, verse 5 to 6, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. Before they could cross over into the promised land, they had to cross through the Jordan River. They had to get through some very important obstacle in their way. Now remember, this generation didn't see the crossing through the Red Sea. All that generation has died out. So now they're standing and they've got to pass through a river that's in flood at the time. It's impossible for them to cross over. But Joshua says, be ready. Consecrate yourself. Put yourself in a space where you say, Lord, I'm giving up everything so that you can get me across this river and into the promised land. I've given my life to this, Lord. My life will be defined by crossing a river and taking a promised land. Nothing else matters, Lord. This 
is what matters in my life. This is the place where these people had to come to. So God says, if you consecrate yourself, then God says, I will dam up the water. And, and if you want to you know, look at this Christologically, we don't have time this morning. It's interesting that the name of the place where the water was dammed up was Adam. Speaks about the covenant of God. That right back to the first Adam, he divides the water. And he says to the people, now you walk through. And they walked through the dry land. And the purpose for this was said to us in, in Joshua. Uh, oh, sorry, I've lost it now. In, in Joshua, uh, sorry, why did I lose this now? The, the, the purpose of this was so that they would always remember that God is with them. And everybody else would know that God is with them. So here they stand by the river and the Lord draws the river up. Dry land. They walk through the river. As they pass through, the Lord says, put up, take 12 stones from the river, put it on the side, build a memorial so that you'll never forget what I've done for you. Because if I can get you through this river, I can get you to possess this land. When you face the giants, when you face the difficulties and you start doubting, remember Send somebody back to go take a selfie at the, at the stones of the memorials and to send it to you so that you can all remember what I did for you. you we're going to do this. So they crossed through the Jordan. And that became a moment of separation. It became their moment where God said, now the old is left behind. We are entering into the new. In Joshua 5, verse 2 to 3, just after they've crossed the river, the Lord says to Joshua, and verse 9, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the approach of Egypt from you. So when they crossed over the Jordan, the Lord said, Your past failures is now in the past. It's on that side of the river. You are now redefined as a people, my people. The people of my pleasure. The people that will step forth and possess the land. You are not the people of Egypt. You are the people of the promised land. And I have made a covenant with you. And in the Passover, what, what, when they had Passover, they would remember that the blood was spilled so that their sins could be forgiven. And there they had Passover. And, G, and, and God said to them, I've been busy with you before the slavery, you know, as slavery started. I've been busy with you. I've been building up to this point with you. And now we are where we want to be. And we're going to move forward and you're going to be the people of my promise. And you're going to take possession of this land. And so they march on. And they come to Jericho. In Joshua 6, we read the story and the scripture says, and Jericho was shut up. In other words, it was closed in. And God says to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all of the, uh, the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpet. When you hear this, them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, every, everyone straight in. So just imagine this. They've just crossed over. Now God says, get the armed men. They didn't have 
a lot of armor. They didn't have a lot of weapons. Many of their weapons were just farming weapons. These were not a very fearful people. God says to them, now you're going to go and take, I'm going to give you this city. How are we going to take this city, Lord? It's impossible for us to do this. This is a fortified city. Remember Jericho, walls were thick enough that chariots could race on it. This was a city that had a standing army. This was a thriving, strong city. This was the strongest city in the area. It was like God said to them, you begin with the biggest obstacle, and then from there you'll work your way down. We would have preferred, can we just start with the smallest city? You know, the one that has like a hedge around it, not a wall. God says, no, we're going to start with the big boys. And he says, how are we going to do this? Is you're going to walk around the city every day for six days, quietly. So imagine you're living in the city of Jericho. You wake up on the morning, and there are these people walking around the city. City's closed up. Everybody's expecting, ooh, we're going to be attacked. And you see this bunch of Jews walking around your city. I think the first morning, everybody was like, <gasps> what's going to happen? The second morning, same guys walking around the city. The people are starting to say, what's going on? What are these people doing? Third morning, the people are walking around the city quietly. People in Jericho are going, what are these idiots up to? It's like, who are they? What are they doing? Fourth day. I think by the sixth day, the people weren't even looking anymore. They weren't even paying attention to these bunch of people walking around the city. It's like, I don't know what they think they're doing. But our city is not going to fall by people walking around it. Seventh day. Now they walk around seven times. Imagine by the seventh time, towards the end of the seventh time, walking around the city. The Israelites are coming. They're probably like, <sighs> exhausted. The people of Jericho making jokes at them, taking photos, sending memes around. You know, it's like, oh, Israelites, these oaks. What, what are they doing? And as they come to the end of the seventh time, the Lord says, then the priests will blow on the ram's horn. When you hear them blow, you will give a long, sustained shout. And that moment came, and they started shouting. I think that got the attention of the people of Jericho. But let's be clear this morning, this was not acoustic warfare. This was not some secret scientific thing that the Israelites were ahead of their time. That they could raise enough sound at the right frequency, at the right level, so that it could break down the walls. This was not a physical phenomenon that was happening. This was a sound. The sound of heaven that was released that day. The sound of heaven that came down and that broke those walls and that caused that city to collapse. You see, that city represented the world. The spirit of this world, the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of that which stands against God, the spirit that possesses the world which belongs to the Lord. And the Lord was delivering an eviction notice by the sound of heaven to, those, to that city and saying, your time is finished, I'm reclaiming my ground. I'm taking back what belongs to me. But I'm doing it through a people. I'm doing it through a people that carries in their hearts the sound of heaven. You see, the sound of heaven came through a people that were surrendered to the sovereign will of God. The people that said, Lord, we will give our lives. Because that day when they started walking around the city of Jericho, they declared war. And there was going to be one of two winners. 
If they didn't destroy that city, the city would have destroyed them. This wasn't just, oh, let's try this. If it doesn't work, whoops, sorry, guys. This was either going to lead to a conflict with the city of Jericho or the be the beginning of a slow descent of them being chased around Canaan by every nation and laughed at and scoffed because they tried and God didn't arrive. They put everything on the line that day when they stood there in front of Jericho. When they walked around Jericho, they said, Lord, you better come through for us or this is the end of us and of your name. This was not a nice to have. This was life and death stuff. And they stood there and they were a surrendered people. In uh, Psalm 19, verse 14, I think Mike Nowitzki shared this. You got, worship team, you guys can join me. And it's sort of somehow the message got to me about this verse. Psalm 19, verse 14. It's a very well-known psalm where David writes this beautiful prayer to the Lord of him giving his life to the, you know, for the Lord's purposes. And then he says in Psalm 19, verse 14, towards the end of the psalm, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. That word meditation in the original language is actually the, a word for a sustained reverbering, a rever, you know, that reverbing sound. It is a, he's actually saying, Lord, let the sound of my heart be pleasing to you. How does it get to the place where the sound of our hearts are pleasing to the Lord? It happens when heaven comes down and lives in our hearts. You see, the sound of heaven. Now, when we start talking about the sound of heaven, people can get really weird with this stuff. And I don't want to be weird at all. Do you know what the sound of heaven is? It's nothing other than the voice of God. It's the logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. But throughout the Scripture, at key points, we see the sound of heaven released. And the sound of heaven creates or recreates God's order. In the beginning, when God said, let us make man, let, let there be light, He released the sound of heaven, and it created and subsequent to that, we see many occasions in Ezekiel, here in Joshua, in, in Gideon's story, in, in Pentecost, even right towards the end, we see the sound of heaven released. When God wants to recreate His purposes and reestablish, He releases the sound of heaven. But He can only release the sound of heaven through a people that are surrendered to His sovereign plans. So what literally happens is God comes, there's moments in history where God comes and says, I'm going to move things now. I'm going to adjust things. I'm going to reestablish my order. And I need a people that have surrendered to me, that have come to that place of saying, Lord, your promise is my purpose. I will give my life for your promise. This is not something that we wish happens, Lord. We're going to stand. We're going to take possession. We want you to give us that which you promised, and therefore we will take possession of it in faith. When there's a people like that, then there's a a tuning that happens between the sound of heaven, the voice of the Father that infiltrates the heart of men and women. And we start being tuned and we start coming into rhythm with the sound of, and it becomes this lasting sound within us. In, in Arabic, the word higayon, which is used here, one of the translations for it is a deep vibrating sound. A deep vibrating sound starts within the people of God that says we're not living for ourselves, we're living for God's purposes. We're not living for the things of men, we're living to see the kingdom of God come to earth. And we will give our lives, we will fight for that, to possess that. When that sound starts building in people 
And then it comes to the sovereign place where God says, today is the day that the city will fall. In that moment, that sound from heaven finds expression through a surrendered people. And they release that sound. And that sound shakes the kingdoms of this world. I believe as a people we've come to a place. It's been noticeable and I think since about August last year. That there's a sound building in both of our churches. There's been the sound rising and there's a sound of faith. And we've had many prophetic words just starting to arise of God saying, there's a sound of faith in the people. You know where that sound of faith comes from? I believe it's because you have responded to the word, (coughs) to the word of the Lord. We've done our best for those of us that preach and bring the word here and in other spaces where we share the word with you. To bring you the word with all of its blessings, its grace, its favor, but with all of its challenges, with all of its, what it asks of us to say, we have to give our lives for the word of God. We've tried and I feel like you've responded and you've become a people that said, Lord, we're not living with you as an option. We're saying, Lord, we want to give you our lives. In our time, we want to see the land possessed for you, Lord. And we are the people that will do what is required. We will surrender to your will. I believe that sound is growing in the hearts of our community. And it is that sound that needs to be released. That sound needs to be released across the globe. And, and, and just in a little bit of travel that I've done now, I've seen how God is building that sound in different places. And I'm hearing of that sound building through a surrendered people. The whole world needs to be shaken by God. Our nation entering into a particular time with elections coming, where we can stand by and watch elections happen or we can stand and release the sound of heaven from a people that says, Lord, we want your will to be done in this nation. We are the stewards of the kingdom of God. I believe God wants to release a sound through the church in our nation. And He's busy building that sound. I believe God wants to release a sound through this local church. And He's been building that sound. Believe God wants to release a sound in our individual lives. What is the sound of faith that God is busy building in you? Can I tell you? Every time God is asking you to surrender something and you say yes, that sound is building. Because we could be a people of faith. We could be this great charismatic crowd here today that stand up and shout and it will mean nothing. The scripture says, without love we're a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. We'll have no effect other than to irritate everybody around us. But when we love God and we love His people, when we surrender to His will, when we make a sound in timing with His sovereign plan, it changes things. And I believe God is saying to us, start to releasing that sound. In your personal private spaces, start releasing the sound of heaven. Start speaking and saying, Lord, this is what we see you saying. I believe here together we need to release the sound. So I'd like you to stand with me. I'm not big enough to to know too much about too much. But I want to make this statement of faith. Our country needs the people of God, the surrendered people of God, to release a sound. Otherwise, God's order will not be established in our nation. And I don't make that statement lightly. I believe we've come to a point 
not only in our nation, across the world, I think it's the same everywhere. We're not very different than many other places. But we here, this is our concern. This is our responsibility. But we can't be shouting stuff out here, but not living it in here. But I believe you've been responding. So I know it's already past 11. But can I ask this morning that these guys just lead us and just, we just sing. I'm not asking you to get emotional. I'm not asking you to do anything that, I'm not gonna, I'm not, this is not about whipping up people. This is not about, you know, stuff like that. But there's a sound that we need to release. And can we do that by faith today? Can we do that? Can you give the surrender that you have and say, Lord, here I am. So let's just sing together. Thank you, Chris. And let's release our sound of worship, our sound of faith here today. Come and have your way, Lord.